It was funny, as I was preparing this message, Ambassadors of Heaven, um, it, it took me a lot longer studying, <clears throat> and I'm not sure if that's going to be able to be heard in, in the delivery, but <clears throat> I must have spent seven or eight hours on this message. I usually spend <clears throat> two to three. Um, just that's, that's not including just kind of meditating on all week, but the actual <laughs> study time. <clears throat> and um, I realized that I've actually preached two or three messages about being ambassadors since we started Relentless. So I went back and looked at those messages, and what's crazy is that nothing in this message was in any of those. So I know that the Lord's given me something more, and it's really exciting to me. Um, the gospel of Jesus is not merely about our souls finding their way to heaven after our flesh dies. The gospel that Jesus preached was a gospel of the kingdom. I'm going to say that again, that the gospel of Jesus is not merely about our souls finding their way to heaven after our flesh dies. The gospel that Jesus preached was a gospel of a kingdom. It is about heaven's rule, dominion, and authority operating in the earth as it already operates in heaven. And you and I walk into true identity as ambassadors of that government. We are ambassadors of a kingdom that is of heaven that God wants to spread throughout the earth. And before we really press into what turning the key is all about, you have got to become convinced of your righteousness in Christ. You have got to become convinced of your righteousness in Christ as an ambassador of a kingdom realm called heaven. God makes us right so that we can rightly bring that realm here. God makes us right so that we can rightly bring heaven to earth. I want to sit on that for a second because it is troubling to think that we are the righteousness of God. But that's actually what he calls us. That we are the righteousness of God. That he makes us right so that we can represent him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 19 through 21, and we're going to sit on 19 for a few seconds, it says, For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. Do y'all hear that? Yes. No longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. The message of reconciliation is not God saved you of your sin, so you better make sure you always consider yourself unworthy. Which is often is what's taught in the church today. So let me say that again. The message of reconciliation is not that God saved you of your sins so that you better make sure you consider yourselves unworthy. The message of, re- of reconciliation is not God saved you of your sin, so you better keep saying that you're a sinner saved by grace and make sure that you look at yourself as pitiful. You're not a sinner saved by grace. You're a saint. Amen. Right. He no longer identifies you as a sinner because you are covered in what? The blood. This is the message of reconciliation. God's infinite love and grace chose to offer himself 
for our sins. So that we will be reconciled as light bearers. And as light bearers, we are worthy to be called sons and daughters of the living God or the bride of Christ. The message of reconciliation is that he made you right to represent him. You, are, you no longer need to identify as I am a sinner. And the moment you start to identify I am a sinner, you actually start to walk backwards in your walk with God because the more you're convinced that you're a sinner, the more you become convinced that you're not worthy to walk as a child of God. God says in marriage we are not to be unequally yoked. Meaning you have to marry something that is likened or equal. He actually follows the same law. He makes you right so that he is not unequally yoked to an unrighteous person. He makes you right so that he can be yoked or married to the bride, a righteous people. And if you still see yourself as a sinner, you will actually fail to walk as an ambassador with keys. You see, Romans 3.23 does not say we're sinners saved by grace. Romans 3.23 says we have all sinned and we have all fallen short Yet God freely makes us right. You have sinned, you have fallen short, but he makes you right anyways. Not you've sinned and you've fallen short, so now you identify as a sinner. No, no, no. You have sinned, you've fallen short, but in being yoked to God because of what he did, he considers you his righteousness or you are in right standing to walk as a bride of him, as a son and daughter, as a worthy vessel. And as you walk as right, no longer identified as a sinner, we give all the credit to the one who made us right. right. You see, that's, that's how you don't get into a pride issue. Because some hear that and say, well, you prideful. You say you're not a sinner. No, no, no. I'm not prideful. I am not a sinner because I know what Christ did for me. He still gets all the credit, and I don't walk in an identity of something that he paid for me to get out of. Right? Verse 20. So, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. We were made right with God. Why? So that we can rightly be ambassadors of the kingdom of God. You are in the earth representing the king of kings. Paul, who wrote this, is actually asking us to serve as ambassadors in a foreign land. He says, we are ambassadors in a foreign land, but I put forth to you that we're not actually in a foreign land. We are home, but our home is governed with foreign government. So when he likens us to being in a foreign land, it's not because the land's not home. It's the land is not operating in a way that is natural to ambassadors. It's operating in a foreign government under the one who opposed Christ. 
Is this confusing? Let me say it again. He likens us to being in a foreign land. And what we've done is we say, okay, well, the earth is not our home. Heaven's our home. Actually, no. It's so much not our home that one day he's going to take us out of heaven and put us back where our home is. Earth. Okay? In the meantime, the place that's our home doesn't look like home. It looks foreign. It looks wrong. It's being operated by, 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 by evil. It's being under the influence of strongholds. The, the, the land that should be governed by the king of kings is being governed by everything else. So Paul looks at it and calls it foreign. Not because it's not home, but because it's not in the culture of heaven. Does this make sense? So we are, be, we are to live here at home according to a right government. 1 Peter 2.11 even says that we're foreigners and exiles, but we read it wrong. The only reason we're foreign is not based on our position. It's based on the world's view of us. Because they do not see our way, they will not see our government. It is the right way to govern and live in this world. So they see us as exiles and foreigners, when in all reality, the earth is groaning for the government that we should be walking in. In Romans 8, it says the earth travails for the sons of God to be revealed. That means the earth is looking for the right government because it's operating in chaos under the foreign government. So our call as believers is not just to get saved and have a hellish 100 years and hope things get better. No, no. Your, your call as a son or daughter of God the moment you got saved is you entered into an ambassador status where the rest of your life you are actually bringing down the government of heaven into the earth. So when the Lord says things like forgive, like bless those who persecute you, the reason you do it is not because you love the persecution, it's you love the outflow of that government. There's a reason you forgive even they, when they don't deserve the forgiveness. You see, when we talk about turn the key, we, 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 we still have the mindset of, oh, what's going to fall down? Is it going to be fire from heaven? Is it going to be dust from the clouds? When we say turn the key, are we going are, are to see, you know, like one day where a, 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 a wind comes in the room and blows everyone down? Or... Are we understanding that turn the key is as you turn the ways of the government of like forgiveness, blessing, no more gossip and slander, right? When we start to turn those keys, we start to get back into proper position and in proper position, the culture of heaven has permission to operate. And in those moments, the outflow is healings and miracles and all those things. But we won't see healings and miracles if we're seeking healing and miracles. We, we will only see it as an outflow of turning the keys of seeking, how do I operate as an ambassador, as a son or daughter of the living God? Right? I, 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 would, I would even... I would even say corporately we need to stop praying, God, let there be miracles. Because he's already said there will be. Yes. 
The only way we see that is if we start turning the keys of our lives. Right? It, it, it says, as an ambassador, this is what Jesus tells us in Matthew 16, 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. He says, because you're made right, you are given keys that will cause earth and all that's in the earth to respond to heaven's government. It's, but, it, but here's the thing. It's not the keys alone. It, it, it's, it's keys in the hands of ambassadors. It's keys in the hands of ambassadors. The problem in the church today is that we haven't been taught about keys. We've been taught, feel bad for your sins and stay at the altar of repentance when the altar of repentance was designed for you to be able to move forward with keys. And there's far too many of us. How many of you believe in Jesus? Okay, okay wow, that's awesome. So all of you have keys. You hear that? The problem is some of you aren't turning the keys because you think you aren't worthy. You still think of yourself as a sinner because you know what you did when no one else did. You still think that you've got a lot of things that you've got to get right so that you can turn the key. Not understanding that the call to turn the key is walking and getting it right. He made you right so that you could turn keys to appropriately access heaven. And when you start to walk in that dimension, start to walk in that reality, it is such a close walk with God that the desire to sin falls away. The desire of sin will not fall away by you continually beating yourself up for being a bad person. Sin will fall away when you become convinced of how good you are based off of how Jesus sees you. And not just how Jesus sees you, but as the Father sees you. Amen. Stuff's falling down in the presence of God. I mean, think about it. Why else would he save us? He loved us. And he loved his design. What design? I created man with a voice that my creation submits to. Remember Genesis? He created Adam and Eve and he says, all right, name this, name that, do this, do that. He actually loves what he did. So he says, let me redeem it. Let me get it back. Let me, let me make you right so that we can get back in design. Luke 11, 52. What sorrow awaits you experts in religious law? I'm just going to, I want to read that again. What sorrow awaits you experts in religious law? I, I, I have met so many people that know theology that don't know God. Mm. What sorrow awaits you experts in religious law? For you remove the key to knowledge from the people. You don't enter the kingdom yourselves and you prevent others from entering. Yes. I want to read that again. You remove the key to knowledge from the people. You don't enter the kingdom yourselves and you prevent others from entering. As Jesus was leaving, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees became hostile and tried to provoke him with many questions. The religious people or the church of that day 
Remove the key to knowledge. What knowledge? The knowledge of the kingdom. It's happening today. You never hear gospel of the kingdom anymore. You hear gospel of Jesus. There is no gospel of Jesus. Jesus came with a gospel called the kingdom. Some of y'all didn't like that. There is, that, that doesn't take away anything from Jesus. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He saved us. We cannot have life without him. But he did not come so that you can sit at the altar of, I need to get saved, I need to get saved. He said, I have come so that you walk through me, and, and, I, am, and I am a door, and you walk into the Father's house, and there are many rooms in his house. He says, come through me into the kingdom, into right relationship. That's what he came for. And his whole ministry was teaching his disciples and anyone else who would listen, which wasn't very many, what the kingdom was all about. And for everyone else that loved to come to huge church services, he taught them in parables and they went, oh yeah, praise the Lord. Didn't know what the heck it meant. <laughs> and then he'd go, read the scriptures, and then he'd go back and they were like, and he, he, he'd take his 12, all right, now I'm going to tell y'all exactly what, I, what they didn't get. And they would be like, well, why, 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 why do you, Teach them in parables. Oh, they don't want to know. They just want the healing line. They, 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 they just want the, the, the food ministry. They just want the benevolence. <laughs> okay, okay. The religious people took away the knowledge of the kingdom. How did they remove it? They actually created a legalistic approach by creating a list of rules for people to save themselves that actually did not help at all. Is this not what the church has done? Oh, you can serve after you fix that thing. Right? Oh, you can lead after you fix that. Isn't that what the church has done? The, 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 best, the, the best way to fix things is to pull people close and start walking. Not get right so that you can. That's right. Yes. Jesus got 12 disciples and says, hey, let's start walking before they even understood he was Messiah. And the church, and church teaches, I can't use you until you get clean. But I've got news for you. If you look at Jesus as Messiah... You are clean. You hear that? And that is the toughest thing to embrace. Because do we still have things that we need to get right? Yes. But as a child of God, the things you get wrong do not identify you anymore. The cleanup is no longer, are you clean? The cleanup now is, I am walking into the reality of what I am positioned as. The first key is a key of knowledge of who you are. You're an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. Why didn't these people enter in? God wasn't enough for them. So they trusted more in their traditions. And, and don't tell me it's, it's because, well, they didn't know. They, they, didn't, they didn't have salvation in Jesus. They didn't see the, the crucifixion at that point. Because I think we need to open our eyes to a truth that 
it actually didn't take crucifixion for people to believe in God. Think about Enoch and Elijah. Hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus. And they were taken up into heaven. That was way before the the death and the resurrection. So how did they get to go to heaven if they didn't say the salvation prayer that, you know, the American church made up so that we can do better at evangelism? They simply were found worthy because they trusted the word of the Father. And the word of the Father is actually Jesus. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. I actually want to point out one of these people, Enoch, and about why he was taken up to heaven. Because I think this is transformational. Look at Genesis 5, 21-24. When Enoch was 65 years old, he became the father of Methuselah. There's hope. Verse 22. After the birth of Methuselah, Enoch lived in close fellowship with God for another 300 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Enoch lived 365 years, walking in close fellowship with God. And then one day he disappeared because God took him. Why did God take him? He simply walked in close fellowship. Fellowship gave him direct direct access to face-in-face encounter. By the way, this passage where it shows that Enoch was taken up, it's called the descendants of Adam. So even though Enoch was born out of a sin bloodline, he turned the key called fellowship, not a key called get to the altar and apologize 24-7. He learned how to walk with God, and then one day, he was taken. And for some of you, religion convinces you that Jesus isn't enough. Because you say you believe in Jesus, but you come up with every excuse as why you're not worthy to be his ambassador. And I see that because many are still holding back because you see yourself as unworthy. You see yourself as unclean instead of understanding that you are worthy and you are clean because of him. Matthew 10.1, it says, Jesus called his 12 disciples together and gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. Leave that up there. I think it's important to remember something. It wasn't 12 disciples who were all the same. They all had different backgrounds. They all had different life experiences, different trades. But he brought them into unity and oneness by giving them all one thing that was same, authority. And it was not rooted in who they were. It was rooted in who they were. In Christ. Yes. Not by earning, but as a free gift from those who walk. And this authority was a way to equip ambassadors to walk as same. And I will go so far as to say that any other gospel is an incomplete doctrine 
that teaches you that you don't get to walk just as they did. Jesus says, I give you the authority to walk as my ambassadors. That word literally from the the Greek and Hebrew means representative. You represent heaven when you walk in the authority that Jesus gave you. Not just because you say you're saved in the name of Jesus. You are walking in an authority that he gave you. you. And if you have no evidence of this power, no evidence of this authority in your life, it actually defines how far along you are in the walk. The same walk that Enoch took. Is this making sense? This is not an authority for church leaders or clergy. That is the most disgusting word ever made up. Because in the kingdom, it's not clergy and it's not lay people. It's ambassadors of God. It's sons and daughters. There's nothing more special about me than there is about you. I have a certain function that I'm supposed to walk in. You have a function you're supposed to walk in. And how dare you think that church is meant to be a place where you get to live like hell in the week so that you can lean on the clergy that gets paid in the pulpit. Where am I at? The reason Elijah could call down fire from heaven was because he was simply living in his authority as an ambassador of heaven before Jesus was even revealed because in the walk, Elijah knew Jesus because he submitted to the word of the Father. You know why the word became flesh? Because there were so many not walking with the word from the Father, they love their own thing, they love their own way. So the Father said, let me give you the most blatant idea of what it looks like to walk in the word. Here it is. That's our benefit, that we get to see what the word is in flesh. We get to see exactly what it means to walk as a child of God. He wants us to be ambassadors of heaven. He has given each of you the authority to tread on uh, scorpions and serpents, meaning evil spirits. There's nothing that you should fear when you believe that you are a child of God. Nothing. Matthew 10, a few verses later in verse 8, it says, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, cast out demons, give as freely as you have received. You have received life, and you've received the key of authority. Now, it says, go deposit that into people and call them into key-turning realities. You hear that? Go deposit what you received in people and call them into key-turning realities. Break their chains and lead them into that kind of walk. Did you just say you break their chains? Yeah, I did. Because I walk as an ambassador of all things in heaven. So when I walk into a room, I believe that God is with me in that room. And if there is a chain of disease on someone, do I believe we can break it? Absolutely. Because as an ambassador of heaven, all I need to do is speak to a disease and disease has to leave. When we actually start to believe that, we're going to see incredible things. 
not because we want credit as super spiritual people, but because we simply want to be ambassadors of a culture that they cannot see so that they can be pulled in as key turners as well. And these next two verses, I believe, actually reveals more change we should be free of. Look at verses 9 and 10 in Matthew chapter 10. Don't take any money in your money belts. No gold, no silver, no copper coins. Don't carry a traveler's bag with a change of clothes and sandals or even a walking stick. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve to be fed. Leave that up there. One of the biggest chains that we have as Christians is you think you need to prepare before you start walking. You hear that? You think that you've got to prepare before you start walking. And we spend years getting ready for a call that's clear. Which shows a lack of faith or a lack of understanding. Because what we'll do is we'll know the call and we'll do exactly what he tells them not to do. We're going to make sure we get the experience. We're going to make sure we build the resume. We're going to raise the funds. I want to be a pastor one day. We'll start pastoring people. Yeah, but I don't have a position. Care for people. And what happens is we don't want to care for people until we get the title or until we get the position. So you've actually spent years wasting time not walking in your calling because you think that calling is something grandiose and much more than it really is. Well, let, let, me, let, let me get ready to start walking as a child of God. No, no, no. Walk as a child of God and along the way, don't hesitate to accept that I'm going to give you exactly what you need as you walk and what you're called to do. Right? The, the, I, I, am, I am not speaking against this necessarily. But when we started Relentless, there's hundreds of church models. And all the successful ones did the same thing. Pre-launch services. Get this amount of money. Get these musicians. Get this equipment. We started with 200 bucks in a checking account and a living room. Was it the harder way? Yep. <laughs> Were there moments when, you know, I, I took sound equipment and threw it against a gym wall? Yep. Someone laughed because he was there. <laughs> was there moments when it was like, this is way too hard? Absolutely. But in being obedient to start now, we're walking into what we're seeing right now. Yes. And I speak that over you. There are people in this room tonight, there is something that you know that you're supposed to be walking in and you're waiting for the right moment. And I speak to you that if you know what you're supposed to be walking in, the moment you got that clarity was the right moment to start walking. Why do people need me to give them position before they start walking in what they're called to do? This is, how, this is how it's supposed to work. You start walking 
so that your walk identifies you. And then me as the apostle of the house will see that and then place you accordingly. But I can't place you if I don't see you walk. Okay. You see, all of this is about one simple thing, the walk, the walk with God. You do not walk as one who is not worthy. You take your place that he purchased for you. Jesus commissioned the disciples. He gave them commands. And then this is what happened when he descended into heaven. It says in Mark 16, 19 to 20, when the Lord Jesus finished talking with them, he was taken up into heaven, sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand, and the disciples went everywhere and preached. And the Lord worked through them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. As they were faithful in telling everyone about God, Everything they said was confirmed by the miraculous. They didn't wait for a miraculous sign to start telling everyone. They sought God together. That was it. They, they were walking with him. Right? They told everyone. Think about the upper room. Right? They went up in the upper room, and they, they were in fellowship and prayer for God knows how long. Some of y'all know how long. Anybody want to throw it out there? Huh? 120 days. Long, long time. 20 people. Yeah, it wasn't 120 days. It was uh, 10 days. 120 people, 10 days. But they, did, they, they didn't get a word that said, wait for 10 days. They just started fellowshipping. And then 10 days later, the Spirit poured out in the room. The problem is we're waiting for the Spirit to pour out in the room for us to get engaged. Like, I, 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 I wish God would give us a sign so that we can have revival. And, and I've, I've heard those, those terms over the years. Since I started in ministry at 17, everyone wants revival. Everyone wants revival. Everyone wants the next move of God. The problem is everyone's waiting on a move of God instead of moving with God. You want to know when it pours out? When, people, when it clicks in someone, oh, I just got to start moving with God. That's it. You want to know when, 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 uh, when a move of God is about? When people start meeting for prayer without me having to give them permission to meet for prayer. Like when people start coming to worship and they stay for worship because, you know, 40 minutes wasn't long enough because we don't get tired of saying, yes, Lord. Right. It's we just simply start showing up for the walk. When you walk with God, turning the key of knowledge of simply being worthy to represent the culture by which you represent shows up. When you start to turn a key of knowledge of simply, I am worthy to represent him, heaven comes. And in heaven, there are no crippled, there are no diseased. 
So how does God confirm that you're an ambassador when you start walking? Heaven's culture invades crippled legs. Heaven's culture starts to usurp the authority of a disease. There are still signs going on. I spoke to a couple uh, last week. It was a, a, the third time this happened. Um, and, and forgive me if I get this wrong, but um, they, they had their mother here, and the mother uh, speaks uh, Portuguese, right? And she couldn't understand. She doesn't understand English. Um, but there was, it wasn't the whole message. It was just a, a part of it, right? That she, I think she looked at them and, and asked if, if I spoke Portuguese. Is that right? Or that she heard it, she heard the message in Portuguese. Oh, she saw it, just in case y'all, I, I was trying to keep them secret, but it's them. <laughs> she, she looked up on the screen and saw what I was preaching in Portuguese on the screen. Now, no, 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 now, hear this now. That is the third time that's happened in a year and a half. Twice was Portuguese. The, the, the first two times it happened, the, 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 they, were, they were actually mothers who were visiting from uh, um, Spain and Portugal or Brazil. And they heard the entire message in their native tongue. And you still think the gift of tongues is just heavenly. Why do I say this? Because things are being, it's not God give us a sign, it's as we walk, things are being confirmed with signs. Now, we all shout at signs, but there's a funny thing about signs. Let me read it, Matthew 16. Is this being okay tonight? Okay. <laughs> One day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to test Jesus demanding that he showed them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. That's kind of an easy job for Jesus. <laughs> he replied, you know the saying, red sky at night means fair weather tomorrow, and red sky in the morning means foul weather all day. You know how to interpret the weather signs in the sky, but you don't know how to interpret the signs of the times. Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. And then Jesus left them and went away. Now, I'm not going to get into too much on the sign of the prophet Jonah, but basically Jonah was three days in a fish and then got out. Jesus was three days in a tomb, short and sweet. Now, we just read that miraculous signs will follow, but now it's saying that an only an evil generation demands signs. So let's look at this. First of all, You've got Pharisees and Sadducees coming together to test Jesus. This actually reveals how much fear they were in of Jesus. Because Pharisees and Sadducees didn't do nothing together. They couldn't stand each other. They hated each other. They didn't like each other at all. They had two opposing theologies. Pharisees lived according to every detail of the law. Sadducees lived only according to the Hebrew scriptures. Pharisees believed in angels and resurrection to come. Sadducees did not. Pharisees did not care about politics. Sadducees were all about the Roman Empire. Pharisees longed for a Messiah. The Sadducees did not. But what brought them together was both of them opposed Jesus. Much like opposing groups today. 
and they were demanding signs when in reality, Jesus had already done many of them. They wanted a sign of something coming down from heaven when the one that came from heaven was being confirmed by the signs. And even today, we still look up for signs when we have missed that as ambassadors, we are the sign from heaven and signs should follow us as we walk with God. You are the sign that came from heaven just like Jesus because you were placed in your mother's womb. You existed in heaven before mom and dad said, what up? (laughs) Or for some of you, hello, darling. (laughs) You existed way before mom and dad got together. So you were taken out of heaven and put into a womb. And when you start to understand that you are saved and delivered as an ambassador of heaven... It's no longer God send down a sign. It's let me walk through you so that signs will accompany my walk. I wonder, are you seeking the signs or are you seeking a walk as an ambassador in which signs follow? That's a key. Stop looking for signs. Look to the walk. Signs are promised. Verse 5, later, after they crossed to the other side of the lake, the disciples discovered they had forgotten to bring any bread. Watch out, Jesus warned them. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Leave that up there. Now, they had just experienced miracles of Jesus feeding 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and then 4,000 people with seven loaves of bread. And he just called the Pharisees and Sadducees an evil generation because their eyes were fixed on the wrong thing and they still worried about bread. Did you catch that? They are worried that they don't have any food to eat. When they were just with Jesus, when he fed 5,000 with, with a, well, how many? 5,000 with five loaves, and then another time, 4,000 with seven loaves. And, he, and they're worried, oh no, we forgot the bread. And they're walking with Jesus. They're worried about the bread. They're worried about being, their needs being met. And they were walking with Jesus. And you know what Jesus says? Beware of that yeast. Some translations say leaven, which was always an evil influence in the Jewish expression. You know what Jesus says? You're mixing false doctrines with this walk. What was the false doctrine? That with Jesus, they still had need. You catch that? They were worried about eating, and he says, Watch out for that yeast. You're walking with God, and you still think you have needs. If you're truly showing up for a walk, 
worry becomes foreign. And when worry becomes foreign, you appropriately walk as an ambassador because nothing moves you other than the voice of God. So when a problem comes, you no longer worry. You don't release worry. You simply release heaven. Yes. And there are so many of us that claim to be walking with Jesus. And I say, if you are, get rid of the leaven. Because he says, I have blessed you with every spiritual blessing. Past tense. Meaning all that you need is available to you. So you don't need to figure out how to try to get it. It's just when you show up for the walk, there's a promise. That, hey, you don't need to save this and get that and prep this. He says, just walk with me. And like he told them to accept the hospitality, what he's saying is when you show up for the walk, I'm going to provide whatever you need in a moment. Some of you feel like you're called to preach. And you're still waiting on how do I... I need to develop my communication. You want to know how I develop my communication? Start communicating. And that goes beyond preaching. Uh, we we, we got to make sure we understand. There's no such thing as, um, what, do, what do they call it? Um, there's ministry and then there's, um, what is it called? Working in the world. Anyone know the, the churchy term? Secular, okay, let's call it, yeah, secular, okay. Ministry and, and, and secular, right? Um, if you're a child of God, everything's ministry. Everything. Whether you're, you know, hammering nails all day or reading the Word of God all day, it's all ministry. And some of you are waiting to get good at something to start it when the Lord is just simply saying, you need to start walking in it. Whether it be a gifting like teaching, or maybe God wants you to start something. You know, for a lot of you, you have these dreams and aspirations, you never even put them on paper. And you're still waiting for God to do it. When he's simply saying, show up for the walk and let me take you step by step. In verse 7, it says, at this, they began to argue with each other. They hadn't brought any bread. Jesus knew what they were saying, so he said, you have so little faith. Why are you arguing with each other about having no bread? Don't you understand yet? Don't you remember the 5,000 I fed with five loaves and the baskets of leftovers you picked up? Or the 4,000 I fed with seven loaves and large baskets of leftovers you picked up? Why can't you understand that I am not talking about bread? So again, I say, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then at last, they understood that he wasn't speaking about the yeast and the bread, but about the deceptive teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. What was the deceptive teaching? That the walk ain't enough. And when the walk ain't enough, ain't, 
you begin to reason as to why you have not. You begin to reason as to why there's no breakthrough. You begin to reason as to why you haven't seen the, the, the promise. You, and then you start to try and earn the healing and earn the favor. No, no, it's not, it's not by earning. He earned everything for you. You just got to show up for the walk. And after all of this, in verse 13, it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, something interesting. He took the disciples to the region of Galilee called Caesarea Philippi. Why? Because everywhere else, there was all these Jews pressing him with questions. So he had to leave that area to get to a place of peace so that he could teach these disciples. In other words, he had to get them away from religion to pour truth into them. And some of you still can't see truth because you're still living in the knowledge of your religion. It's, a, it's amazing how many people come to Relentless and you hear a new sound and you hear a new teaching and you hear a deeper theology and then you try to tell me why I'm wrong. <laughs> As if I have no accountability. Come on. It, and, and here's what I mean by that. It's amazing how many people come into the house and hear these things. And then we try to put all these stipulations on. Well, we got to do this if we're going to see this. And this is how evangelism works. But, but it hasn't worked. So forgive me. I don't value what you have to say. When you're bringing something that hasn't worked. As if it's going to work this time. And I'm being bold with that because I need you to understand something. We're walking into something new, which means it hasn't been done. <laughs> and, and you want to know how to walk into something that hasn't been done? It takes a people walking together in close relationship, willing to get it wrong for the chance of getting it right. Following God. That scares some of you. Can you imagine what the 12 disciples were thinking? <laughs> Jesus is like, you've been taught this, but. And he's still doing the same thing today. Like when we read in the scripture that the elders laid, laid their hands on the sick. And then you hear me say, we're entering in a day where it's not going to be done by the laying on of hands. And, and then Maybe we think, okay, well, isn't that heretical? Because the Bible says they have to do it by laying on the hands by the elders in that day. They were just starting. They were building foundation. They didn't have enough people that understood anything. But in this day, it's a new day. It's going to be a new outpouring. It's going to be a new move of God. Yeah. Yeah. So when we say things like, hey, we're going to bring the kids in here, the first thing we think of, oh, that's not going to work. But that hasn't worked either. Kids are growing up rebellious. The, 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 there's the, the, 
biggest religions coming up are of witchcraft and, and, and Buddhism and Islam and all this stuff. And Christianity is almost getting this back burner. So when the Lord says bring the kids in here, maybe we shouldn't think about if a program works or not. But could there be a deposit in a walk with God where an eight-year-old understands his place as an ambassador greater than any religious seven-year-old? But it takes a, you know what? We're going to link arms and we're going to go there together. He had to get them away from the religion. So he starts by asking them, who do you think the Son of Man is? In verse 14, it says, well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then they asked him, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, I think this is one of the most overlooked verses. You're blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You didn't learn this from any human being, including Jesus. Jesus never told him he was the Messiah at this point. He says, Simon, you just got this from the Father. See, when you get out of religion, the Father's voice become, begins to flow through you so naturally that you don't even realize you're speaking on behalf of the Father. Amen. You think at that moment Peter was like, oh, I got a word from God. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> it's, it's Jesus is like, hey, who do you think I am? He's like, well, you're the Messiah. The, the, the Father's voice just came out of him. Because you're no longer walking as separated. You're walking hand in hand. You're walking as one from a posture of a walk as an ambassador of heaven. You see, Peter spoke Messiah from an ambassador of heaven position all because he walked with Jesus. He walked with the word. He walked with God. He walked with God. And if your walk with God looks like you're getting here once a week to hear a message, I'm sorry, but that's not a walk with God. You're still hoping that something happens here that's going to transform your life when what is given out here is simply a tool to help you on your current walk. This is not going to fix you. We can have a thousand altar calls, and it's amazing. In my time in church over the years, I used to be a part of churches where we had an altar call every weekend. And it was amazing how it was the same people every weekend for the altar call. And I began to think, well, either God's not working or something is wrong. Because we still, for some reason, look at this, you know, 10 feet of area between a man-made stage and a man-made chair as something more holy than, the, than your own home. Or a seat at the restaurant. If his presence is everywhere, then everywhere is an opportunity to recognize it as an altar to the Lord. So it's not get fixed here. Is there is a deposit in you to help you on your walk. 
Verse 18. Because he, said, because he was walking with God, it says, now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. He says, I will build my ecclesia. I will build my group of ambassadors to represent me, to represent the culture of heaven. And the way I'm going to do it is I'm giving you keys. And when you turn them, heaven's culture invades earth. Not coming down from the sky, but it comes through I love you. It comes through I'll forgive you. It comes through get up and be healed. It comes through I'm no longer going to let bitterness be my culture. These are all keys. It comes through the tithe. It comes through the offering. It comes through the sacrifice of man-made leisure to be with a people seeking God together. These are all keys. Verse 21, it says, From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem, that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the, leader, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day he'd be raised from the dead. Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, this is never going to happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get away from me, Satan. It's funny. Simon, you got it. You're speaking on the Father's behalf. I'm calling you Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You're a dangerous trap to me. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view. Not from God. Did you catch that? When you look at life through human point of view, it's not inspired by God. It's inspired by the one that tried to create separation between you and God. I'll get into that in a second. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your way. Take up your cross and follow me. You must give up your way. You must give up your human point of view. You must give up how you look at things. You see, we, 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 we can't govern earth according to heaven if we're still looking at things through the lens of politics. Through the lens of how I want things to be done. We can't, we can't govern this life as an ambassador of heaven if we're still looking at things through a lens of, 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 our, of our worldly opinions. We have to start looking at this thing through something much different. Through the lens of heaven that you were called to represent in everything you do. There are things that some of us have to make right. I'm not talking about necessarily your lifestyle. Maybe broken relationships or maybe some regrets you've had and maybe you need to ask for forgiveness. Maybe you need to forgive. Maybe you need to, I don't know what it is, but 
some of you are still not doing that because you look at it through the view of, well, I'm not ready to do that. But according to his ways, the moment you said yes to him was the moment you became ready. There are too many of us going through this process of, I want one day I'll be able to forgive. If you believe in Jesus and you still cannot forgive, that means you are still under a worldly government and not heavens. It is the most freeing thing for you. And the same people who won't be able to forgive are the same ones wondering why they can't get a breakthrough in another area. Because you're not turning keys. Every key you turn, every decision, every way is one of two things. It's of God or it's of Satan. It's, there, there's no gray area. So in order to turn keys appropriately, we must begin to understand his voice and our true calling so that we can begin to see things from a heavenly point of view. Give up your way and follow God. You are an ambassador of heaven. An ambassador of heaven. This is not some foreign idea. He saved you so that you could represent something that no eye has seen and no ear has heard. But where we miss it in that verse is we have. No eye has seen, no ear has heard the things of God. But God wants for eyes and ears to see it through the ones who will turn the keys to unlock it. All he needs is our yes. All he needs is our walk. Moment by moment, day by day. You are worthy for the walk. He made you worthy. He made you clean. He made you good. Stop calling yourself a, a sinner saved by grace and start understanding you are an ambassador of heaven because you are made clean by the blood of the Lamb. When you start to understand that, then all the stuff we read in Scripture and when we prophesy and believing in the things of heaven to fall down, it doesn't become lofty concepts and it doesn't become a foreign thing that's only experienced in revivals. It becomes a natural way of life because we don't operate according to this world. We operate according to heaven. That's how good Jesus is. He makes you worthy of that. He makes you worthy of that. So tonight, I just leave that with you, that you, you, you are an ambassador of heaven. Start turning keys. Unlock heaven. Seek him. What's happening in this house is there is a hunger to seek God together. You realize that? Worship's going longer every week. People are getting healed and set free without even having to bring them up to the front by just being in the presence of God.
And you know what's crazy? It's not because anyone's doing anything necessarily different or intentional. We're all just getting more hungry together. When you start to walk as an ambassador of heaven, everyone in your circles will start to wonder what's that hunger all about. And they'll start to have an appetite. And you'll show them the bread that'll feed them. You show them the one that they can come to and they'll never thirst again. They don't have to go look for anything. They just want to be in the presence of God. I've heard it said over and over that this year was going to be a big year of evangelism. But evangelism is not going door to door knocking with tracks. It's not necessarily walking the parks and trying to get people saved. I believe evangelism this year will simply be we become so so identified as ambassadors that the way we walk causes a stirring in the lost. So you want to see souls saved? Start turning keys. Walk as ambassadors of heaven. We'll see an incredible move of God. Amen.